0: It's going to impact this recording. I don't think it will. What? But the kids in my neighborhood love fireworks. Okay. This is my new neighborhood. We spared everyone the whole moving discussions over the past couple of weeks because we it's did fine. that already. You moved. I that's moved. A, that's the story. <laughs> Whatever. But the kids in this neighborhood love fireworks. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And I drew. Wait. Wait. My my
1: name is Fireworks.
0: (laughs) And they're not so much about the like shoot it up in the sky and like make a pretty flower in the air fireworks. Mm -hmm. They're all about the ones that you can like hold in your hand. Light them and then throw them at your
1: friends. (laughs) (laughs) Do they make fireworks that are supposed to be used that way, or do they just use them that way?
0: I well, all right. You may have hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, Uh, yeah. It's like a. See, I was going
1: to say like maybe it's it's like close to the Fourth of July and people just have fireworks fever and it's fireworks fever is a really really dangerous (laughs) fever to get.
0: After a certain amount of time, you do explode. That is... Yeah,
1: like, tell me, check back with me in, like, December, and if they're still throwing fireworks at each other, then maybe the kids in your neighborhood have a fireworks problem. That's true.
0: I mean, I'm a little concerned that school is just getting out, and already there's been, like, firework fights, so I don't know what's going to happen now that no one has to go to school.
1: Can you find the people who lived in your apartment before you and ask them why they left and determine if the reasons are fireworks related?
0: <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so, because no one lived here for about like two or three months. So I assume that those people are just now ghosts. I don't they just don't exist. I don't know why they would leave.
1: It took them so long to rent the apartment out because they just faded out of existence. Yeah, precisely. They've it been, took, it yeah. took people like two months to notice. Okay. That's true. That's fair.
0: So, I don't think there will be any fireworks on this podcast. It's a little late, but I was surprised at how late the fireworks were going as it
1: was. So. Only the fireworks <laughs> of our crackling wits and Whee! fiery conversations about books. Insight. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> puns. Puns, puns, puns. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That that one that fireworks for me. Oh, oh no. Andrew, what do what? we do each week on this show?
0: What do we oh, even do here?
1: We set off fireworks for an hour. Um no, actually we read books and tell each other about the books that we read. So, Craig, this week you read the book and you're gonna tell me about it. What and who and how and all the other Linda Ellerby questions.
0: Oh, good. Uh <laughs> Why would you sneak a Nick News joke (laughs) into the setup of the show, you monster?
1: wouldn't I?
0: Oh, man. I read Across a Hundred Mountains by Reyna Grande. Okay. Uh, And it is a book that was recommended to us by a patron of the show, a Patreon of the show. Uh, Oswaldo recommended it to us. And it is about two young women uh, from mexico uh and kind of illuminates the border crossing situation without it being a a very political book there the episode's over back to firework time. that's good no great uh yeah it won that's our best one yet i think (laughs) It, it it did win the american book award when it was published i think that was back in Oh God, two thousand three? Is that correct, Andrew? You did a little bit know. of research to help I me out, but not that.
1: I didn't that thing I didn't I didn't didn't come up in my obviously exhaustive research. Great on this book and the person who wrote it. Uh
0: two thousand seven American Book Award, excuse me. Okay. Um what can you tell me about Rena? I know that this book is written not directly from personal experience, but she herself uh crossed the border.
1: Yes, right. So okay. she was born in 1975. Um when she was 2 her father left. I mean she 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 grew up at least initially in uh Mexico and then when she was 2 her father left to find work in the United States. When she was 4 her mother left. Okay. And so from 4 to 9 it was her and her siblings with um her grandmother just living in Mexico and and I assume getting money sent back from the US from from her parents. One would hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a really important experience for her. Like at age nine, she she came over as an illegal immigrant and then, you know, became eventually the first person in her family to earn a college degree. And, you know, the the whole American dream thing happened, it sounds like. (laughs) Um, Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so she has some. She has some interesting things to to say about like her experience growing up, and and it definitely informs her work. Like her first two novels, I think, draw at least some from her experience, as we'll probably talk about in a little bit. And then her third book was a memoir that was like explicitly about, you know, her her growing yeah, up her because experience. it's a memoir, and that's what memoirs are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Have you read some David
1: Sedaris? That's, yes, I have.
0: That's yeah. not what his books are about.
1: No, but his books, like, I, I'm convinced that he's making at least half of that stuff. Out.
0: I think he, yeah, I think some people have said as much that that might be the case. And
1: yeah, then then um, as of February of last year, she was working on another novel that was still kind of about the immigrant experience, but it was taking another tack because apparently um, writing her memoirs was just a very, very difficult for her. Like, it was just her bearing herself to her reading public. So that that one's going to be about Irish immigrants who desert the U.S. military to fight for Mexico? Which sounds interesting. Interesting,
0: um, yeah. I so I'm reading this book right in the in the past couple of weeks, and I, I had the privilege of being at a fundraiser for a library here in Philly, uh, and their guest of honor was the ambassador from Ireland. Okay. To the ambassador to the United States from Ireland, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. She's a she seems like a really cool lady, and she spoke really eloquently about immigration. Like that's her big issue. And first I had no, you know, I I don't think I had a real idea of how involved ambassadors from other countries try to be in local politics here. Mm -hmm. Um, But just the, the history of Ireland's relationship with this country and then kind of comparing that to our current relationship with our, you know, mostly southern neighbors is really interesting and it was just kind of a weird confluence of events. I don't really have anything more to say about that, about this weird like thing that I went to. <laughs> um except that It's just a thing that happened. Well, and she was she read from uh James Joyce a couple really interesting selections one about the apprehension of emigrating from your homeland and you know the I like what are you leaving behind and how scary that is mm-hmm. uh, and conversely the freedom that you have upon leaving yeah now certainly that's written at a time where you're not dealing with the sort of uh, border crossing politics that we're dealing with now um, but certainly speaks to the human element of this event and that's one of the strongest parts about this book so
1: yeah and and there's she says this is i i read an interview with her in the texas observer um that was published oh, in okay. february of 2014 and i've had, had a few good quotes about like what why she tells stories and that and that kind of stuff but one of the things that i that i was the most interested in is that she says that she gets a lot of you know a lot of feedback from people that are really thankful that she wrote this book and are thankful to get like a firsthand immigrant experience. And and this is a, this is a quote from her. Um, a lot of books about immigration are from third parties who are researching the topic and they're interviewing immigrants to write their experiences down. But it's very rare when that immigrant gets to tell the story herself without having somebody else tell it for her. Uh, that's what I'm really grateful for that I can use my own voice to tell my own story. I wish more immigrants had that opportunity. Hmm. So I guess you can tell me how that factors into this story, but yeah it's that's the thing about like I, I i'm thinking about work that happens in my own field which is like tech journalism and stuff you have this slowly dawning realization that women are people
0: <laughs> yeah and that
1: they do things that are interesting but still a lot of the stories are being told by men and the one of the you know among the side effects of that is that a lot of the time the the narrative that gets the most attention is like the victim narrative where, where these people are being harassed by a bunch of anonymous randos on the internet. And it becomes less about the work that they're actually doing and more about the bile that they have to deal with as a result of doing that work, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the value of, of having somebody who can tell the story firsthand is that you get a lot more nuance than that. And Oh yes, okay. You don't have to, you don't have to deal with the stuff that the storyteller thinks is important or the most noteworthy. You get you deal with the stuff that was actually important to the person who is living the living the thing. You know. Yes, Does that makes sense.
0: I completely agree. I was I got a little lost there, um, but I actually know what you mean. Right, um, and I, I think it's important, probably for her, that this story is not her story, and that it it you know I'm sure it shares parallels, but it is a fictional account of a whole other you know person's life
1: yeah that's what you know that's what she's said is that she's she's drawing from her past but that her novels are fiction it's not like it's not some kind of thinly veiled thing where the you change the names and you get the writer's life like that's not what this is yes correct Uh. um so that's i mean that's most of what we have about her i think unless you have other stuff you wanted to bring up no that's what i got Okay, cool. So tell me tell me about this book. Great. So
0: the book oscillates between two characters. And I I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try to avoid diving into a full-on, you know, here's the blow-by-blow of what happens, because par- partially my reading experience of this book is that one of the characters kind of leapt forward for me in terms of interest and uh kind of kept me engaged more so than the other. And then that has a really big payoff later in the book. So, like, okay, I I don't. I'll I'll just give you the setup of the book, and then we'll kind of go from there. Um, Okay, that sounds good. Folks who are interested in reading this book, I will be spoiling things a little later on. I don't think that that would actually diminish your experience of reading it. So, there you go. Uh, it opens with this woman named Adelina and I, I apologize in advance if I, if I pronounce anything incorrectly, I don't speak. At some
1: point we just have to stop apologizing and yeah, just pronouncing I, things I, I and just like assume that it's implied. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> I feel true. like there's that moment in every episode where we're like, well, I probably m- mess that I messed up, that up. Messed that up. Yeah. Thanks what? guys for, for hanging in there with I us. I
0: say that more as an opportunity for people to engage with us by correcting us. That's what I really I trust. That's cool. our no, audience. that's my fa-
1: That's my favorite kind of feedback too. Yeah. Is when people tell us how wrong we did.
0: <laughs> it means that they care. It means that they <laughs> that they care about us and they want us to be better. Sure. Uh, so All right. That's I, one I'll, way of yeah, of feeling about it. That is how I choose to look at it, Andrew. <laughs> um, so Adelina, uh, the book opens with her uh, trying to find her father. Uh, She's a young woman. I believe she's in her late 20s, early 30s. And uh, she's been searching for her father for a good long time and believes that she has discovered his body um, across the border. Okay. Uh, And that is like the first opening scene, and then it's gone. Like the police show up. She's with uh, someone that they call a coyote. And coyote is the term for the people who try and get you across the border, which is just an interesting fact, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So it cuts away to a chapter with Juana, who is a young girl at the beginning of the book. I believe she's 11 and she's the one that the book spends the most time with and that I was super on board with the whole book. Like there were chapters with Adelina where I would get a little confused, a little lost. And Juana is my girl. So Juana
1: is the the character of the two that you identified the most with them. Yes, well, and
0: certainly the story, the storytelling, kept me the most engaged. I'll get to why that is in a little bit. Okay, great. So the opening scene, I'd want to give you like a real clear picture of this opening scene because it's it sets the stakes for everything that comes after it. So Juana and her parents and her younger daughter, her younger sister, excuse me, Anita, they're all living in this kind of. It's a house, but it's effectively a shack, uh, in a village in Mexico. Uh it opens during a storm and it, it you know, it says that the thunder is so loud that it's shaking the bamboo walls. Like it is not a very sturdy structure. Mm-hmm. And a flood Where'd ha- they get bamboo? I don't know. That's a go- <laughs> I mean, I guess it's around. I if, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you know this. Bamboo will grow like crazy. Okay
1: it will take i don't really i don't know that much about bamboo i just assume that it's all in japan somewhere we have not <laughs> talked well also in china right well yeah in china
0: <laughs>
1: pandas got it the, gotta, the country that, that, that owns
0: every panda in existence basically they
1: should have all mm-hmm. the bamboo you can't own a panda
0: i think most of the pandas in the united states are on lease from china <laughs> I think that's like are a we real like thing. renting to own these pandas from China? I don't know what happens if the pandas are born here just
1: 12 more payments and the pandas ours maybe the okay
0: <laughs> we have not talked about my my love for pandas on the show but I love pandas
1: we haven't because I kind of disagree like I they're cute and all but in the animal kingdom they're just they're useless they're mistakes like why are they here yeah red pandas red pandas totally on board with because they're you like a good like, foxes. they're like, like, like fox kitties yeah but regular pandas just like they look like bears but they just sit around and eat all the time they don't do anything cool like what's the point
0: i once watched i once watched a panda eat an apple and it was awesome
1: See, just the words that you said to me just now and the order that you said them, That's not that does not draw me in at all.
0: Let's get back to the book. Okay. Uh, so this flood is attacking this bamboo house, and they're taking on water like it is filling their living room. And already you can tell that, you know, the state in which they're living is such that a heavy rainstorm is going to threaten their entire livelihood, right? Sure. Uh, Their father has not come home yet from work. Uh, Her mother goes out to look for her father. And she says, "Wanna stay here on top of this table because otherwise, you know, you're stuck in water uh, and hold on to your baby sister and I'm going to go get your father. Well, Juana does as she's told for as long as she can. Mm -hmm. And she falls asleep because she's been there for hours and she hasn't eaten. And when she wakes up, uh, people are there, and her sister has died. Jeez. Yeah. So right away, Juana has, you know, blames herself for, uh, you know, inadvertently killing her baby sister.
1: So her mom and dad are okay, though?
0: Yes. They were not in the house at the time.
1: I was going to assume that we never saw them again.
0: No, 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 no. Um, apparently
1: the other problem is the problem so then what (laughs) so
0: from there they have to you know have a funeral for this child and uh her father needs to go off and earn more money to pay all of their debts to the funeral director and so this like tiny village in which tragedy can befall you at a moment's notice the funeral director is the one who like holds all the strings because people owe him money to have proper funerals. You know, it's a very religious community. Uh, They want to observe these events properly and bury people properly. And to do that sends these families into debt. And this has like create, had a ripple effect throughout the village, which I think is like simultaneously heartbreaking and almost so melodramatic. It's comical. You know? Right. Yeah, I
1: was going to say like usually usually the bad guy in these situations is like an oil baron or mm-hmm. something. It's not like a fu- it's a greedy funeral home director who is just squeezing the town dry.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's uh, in context it doesn't read as super melodramatic, though. Okay. It it kind of just reads as an unfortunate consequence of, you know, how their society is is structured. Yeah, right. Um or just and it's of,
1: really, I mean, it's really, it's it's depressing if you think about it, because what does that say about how many people die in this community, that the funeral home director is the fat cat in the community? Yeah, you know? pre-
0: precisely. And not to say that he's super well off, but it's just like the money in town, what little there is, needs to flow somewhere, and it ends up flowing to him. Mm-hmm. Um This family had previously lost a daughter several years before, and they were in debt for that and finally paid it off. And this is threatening to kind of break their backs. So much like uh, Grande's father left when she was young, um, Juana's father leaves to this city called El Otro Lado, which, in some readings I've done in this book, is actually just translated as "the other side." And so it mm. might not be an actual real place at all, right? Yeah,
1: I mean that's the literal translation anyway. So,
0: so oh, is it? Yeah. I don't speak any Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, otro makes sense, but I don't, you know. Yeah, no,
1: that's that's correct. Great, thank you. Um, I've retained enough high school Spanish <laughs> to, to remember that.
0: That's fine. I have not retained barely any high school French, so I can tell you if thing, if something's on the table, it is sur la table. Can you tell me how to
1: get to the discotheque? Uh, can you tell me anything about discotheques? Où est la discotheque? What does that mean? Where is the discotheque? (laughs) Okay.
0: La discotheque et ici. It is here.
1: Okay. Good. Uh, Now I have more information about the discotheque. Je suis une bibliothèque. I am a bibliothèque. I'm a library. library. (laughs) (laughs) That one needed a couple of translation passes, but I'm glad that you got it.
0: Oh, man. This show. (sighs) Okay. Uh so her father has to leave and, and he is portrayed as a really loving, caring guy. So that when he does leave, what happens in the village is everyone kind of starts murmuring about whether or not this family, like many others, will be populated with like forgotten women. whether Juana's mother, who she refers to as Ama, uh is Lupe, whether mm. Lupe will be another forgotten woman whose man, you know, whose husband left to go find work on the other side and never came back. Um, But he's portrayed that he's this caring, gentle father. So the hope is, especially from Juana's perspective, that he would come back. Right. And if he didn't, then something must have happened to him. Mm -hmm. So from here, like their family spirals into increasing economic despair. Ama loses her job because uh, the funeral director wants uh really after a couple weeks go by and no money gets sent back, he wants to have control over her, probably sexually, uh, in return for you know not collecting their debts to the point of them not having a house, mm-hmm. and he kind of squeezes her out of her other jobs so that she can't find any work, and she becomes an alcoholic, um. Yeah, so this sounds like a fun one. Yeah, it is a fun one. And meanwhile, these these scenes are being broken up with scenes with Adelina, who is uh, all of her scenes don't happen in chronological order. Sometimes she is uh, searching for her father. Sometimes she has found her father and is traveling home wherever home is. Uh, Sometimes she is working at a shelter for abused women in LA or or some other psychologic psychiatric uh, facility. And sometimes she is uh, pursuing a romantic relationship that she is bad at because she doesn't feel like she can get close to anyone. Uh, So Adelina's chapters routinely confused me because I have a through line with this younger girl and I'm like, i'm really grounded in the world i can see who these characters are and i feel like grande is keeping me at arm's length in the adelina chapters if that makes
1: sense, i mean i assume it's the kind of thing where the two plot lines intersect at some point like it becomes obvious why you're jumping back and forth like does does that happen and is it satisfying yes so if like did it did if you read it it's interesting because sometimes sometimes with these books that we read, I feel like if I had time to go back and read them again like knowing everything that happens and how it happens, I would have a totally different experience of the book. So say you were say you're reading this again knowing what happens at the end of the book with the Adelina chapters, like would they mean more to you? Would they fit in better for you? Like what what how would they be different? They would be great. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: So that's unambiguous. I like that. They would be great. And one of the things that sets them apart, at least for the first two-thirds of the book, is they're much shorter. They're the vignettes are a lot tighter, probably because Grande's being so sparse with information. Mm-hmm. Which she's actually really good at as a writer. I don't know if you can think of a of a writer that you're aware of just in the forefront of your mind, Andrew, that like doles out information very well. But there's a couple of times in this book where an event has happened and so, okay, so I'll give you the example. Um, Okay. Lupe, Juana's mother, ends up killing the, uh, I told you there would be spoilers, ends up killing the funeral director. She has had uh, a child, which he claims is hers, and he takes it. And at its baptism, she tries to take the son back and a fight ensues and he ends up kill, and she ends up killing him you don't actually see the text say that that happens until the very like second to last sentence of the chapter meanwhile you're you know you're seeing a woman covered in blood she's complaining about how she had no other option everyone's freaking out but the the funeral director's wife is actually more upset that she came to get the baby so the shock of the murder is like delayed and then lands really solidly and then the chapter moves on Okay.
1: Yeah, I I don't have... There is not a specific name that's coming to mind, but I know that I've read stuff like that before. And I'm I'm impressed when it is done well and, and doesn't come off as like a gimmick thing. Yeah, and
0: it's not overused, uh, but it kind of jives with a similar... It's a much more subtle thing of perspective. At one point, Juana is caring for her mother during a kind of drunken escapade, and instead of the text referring to her as Juana's mother... She, it refers to her as the woman, you know, like Juana looked at the woman covered in vomit on the floor and helped her up, et cetera, et cetera, and then says, come on, mother. So there's mm-hmm. these like literal linguistic differences that are really impressive. Uh, and I, what I don't know about this book actually is whether or not it was written in English or Spanish first. I imagine it was written in Spanish first, but um, that'd be something that if you, while I'm talking, you wonder, to look up, that would be kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen nothing to suggest that she's writing in Spanish first because she came to the U.S. Like,
0: I know it's available in both languages.
1: Sure, sure, and and she's in a position, I guess, to have written it in both languages. But I don't, I don't know. Let let me see if I can find anything out here. Cool. You you just keep keep it keep it coming. I'll keep overdoing.
0: I'll keep overdoing it. Uh man, that's a that's a merch opportunity if I've ever heard one. Uh write in about how we might use that pun, everybody.
1: All right, I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna write that in our little here's my business plan. Business plan, I'm gonna say overdoing it. Note ask about spelling question mark. <laughs> And then an equal sign, and then three dollar signs, because that's I think that's a three dollar sign idea.
0: I was gonna ask if your business plan was a napkin, but I heard you typing. So no, I'm, you just, either... I'm just typing
1: into a document. Okay, um, and you then later, not... okay, later we will go to uh, like Busted Tees and <laughs> print up a bunch of overdue shirts, and then we'll never actually have to podcast again because we'll be so. Rich because of the merchandise that we sold.
0: That's pretty true. That's, that's exact. I had a vision where that was what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it. Don't worry about it. So let me kind of explain how these two stories intersect, and then I'll spoil the whole book, and then you'll know why you should go read it yourself. Does that sound fine? It sounds great. Okay. So before Juana crosses the border, she leaves home to go find her father. Her mother's in a bad way, and she's been saving up her money to take the bus to the train to the bus to the train uh, to get to America herself to find her father. And before she makes it there, she ends up in Tijuana, and she gets arrested, I believe, uh, coming off of a bus that, you know, everyone was supposed to have proper papers on. And she ends up in a jail cell, that she ultimately gets released from with a girl named Adelina Vasquez, who is younger than the other Adelina from the other chapters, but the book really makes no attempt to say this is not the person that you've been reading about. Just, it's at a different time period, perhaps. Mm -hmm. They end up, you know, going and living together. Adelina has been forced into prostitution by her boyfriend, and so Juana... Unfortunately, there are no other options available to her at this point in time, or so she believes. She uh, becomes a prostitute as well. She's kind of hoping that she will meet through her work a coyote who can who has seen her father and can take her to go find him. Um, seems like she's really holding on to a very uh, thin notion there, perhaps.
1: Yeah. Uh, Just to, an update on my research. I, I can't find anything to suggest that. These were not, like, the English and the Spanish versions were written, like, one before the other. I assume they were just written and published at the same time. I oh, couldn't find anything about other... I couldn't find anything about other translations. Okay. And neither the English nor Spanish version has anything about, like, a translator or anything. Which, yeah. Which, I mean, yeah. makes sense, but... All right. Good work. Thanks, I guess. I mean, <laughs> my... My search was really inconclusive, so I don't know that I necessarily did go to work, but I'm I am always glad to accept a compliment. No
0: problem. Happy to help. Uh, Overdopod
1: at gmail.com. Hit us, hit us with your compliments.
0: <laughs> so, her and Adelina, uh, you know, they strike up a friendship uh, in, a, in an unfortunate circumstance, and they meet a coyote that's going to take uh, Juana across the border. Adelina shares with Juana that she was actually born in the United States. She has a United States birth certificate. Mm -hmm. So Juana goes and tries to cross the border herself. Um, I want to come back to this in a little bit. She gets, she doesn't make it. She gets sent back. uh, And in the meantime, Adelina has been killed by her boyfriend who is violent. Um, He's super jealous, very violent. At one point he sexually assaults Juana. Um there I wanna also talk about the feminist politics in this book um as well, Sounds and good. uh so Juana adopts Adelina's name and identity, oh jeez, okay, and so suddenly all of the chapters were like for a while now and I feel like I missed something I think there were clues laid in that I missed which is actually one of the reasons I'm sure
1: if you went back you could find them
0: well and I've I've found some of them but I actually wish I had a hard copy of the book. I, I purchased an a Kindle edition and it's a
1: lot harder to like hold two spaces in you know like right you can't put your thumb in a in a tablet yeah <laughs> i mean you can but it doesn't do anything let me
0: jam my forefinger into this iphone will, so
1: my, can... will my finger fit in this lightning port <laughs> should it
0: i need to upgrade my firmware so i can shove my finger in this port
1: i think that's a feature with ios 9 okay I good. that's coming that's coming in the fall okay and i also have another research update this is my <laughs> research is ongoing these books were, okay, they were published in Spanish and English by two different publishers on May 15, 2007. Okay, perfect. So they were indeed simultaneous. Good work. That actually was good work. So that thank was good you. work.
0: Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so she, yeah, so there are clues earlier in the book, but it is kind of a fight club moment um the book doesn't the book doesn't linger on that it's not like a giant reveal because obviously the character knew it all along okay but the moment where she decides to be this person kind of sheds a whole bunch of new light on the earlier chapters that i really wasn't picking up on probably because i was reading the book going give me more want chapters i don't care about this Adelina person
1: uh twists you know what They're I mean? all wanna-chapters. Like,
0: exactly. That that was what re- was really cool about it. Um, more of a
1: Don Draper moment really than a Oh, I suppose than a Fight club, yeah. club moment or maybe like a Fight Club Mad Men hybrid.
0: Yeah, Fight Men. <laughs> fight Men. <laughs> I I could have said Men Club, but that was basically Mad Men. So <laughs>
1: That was the working title for Mad Men was Men Club. <laughs> men Club. Men Club uh, for Men. Men Club for Men. And then AMC prevailed upon them to change the name.
0: That's a they made a good decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Breaking Bad was originally called Breaking Brad,
1: but they changed the title. And everything about the show and Brad Brad didn't even end up in the in the broadcast version. I
0: know. They they shot a lot of footage
1: that they didn't use. Um I heard that Breaking Bad was originally called a bad guy who was a good guy but then became bad. They could, that was Vince Gilligan's, Like That was the name on the spec script.
0: They couldn't fit it on the billboards. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they would have used it. <laughs> so this book's pretty good. Um, what, okay. What happens after that is, you know, uh, Juana, now Adelina, um, goes back to her mother. So all those chapters where she's going back Adelina's going back to her home is actually what is happening at the end of the book. Right. Um, and there's kind of some reconciliation uh, that happens with her brother who, you know, obviously was not, did not know he was her brother and, and stuff like that. It's not a, a super happy ending, but it is an ending that paves the way for Adelina to live a happier life. Um, One of the things that's been laid in over the course of the book is that Adelina did some things in her past that she is not happy about and has prevented her from having a close, intimate relationship with someone, Um, and that seems to be where the book is, you know, opening the door for, perhaps. Okay, uh, so that leads me to the first thing I want to talk about, which is I found a really fascinating. Oh, we're finally
1: to we're finally to the first thing like thirty five <laughs> oh, minutes into shut this. Shut up! Show. How many times
0: <laughs> can can someone who's been digging through the back catalog? At, let it write in and tell me how many times I've done that because I feel like I do that every episode. Like, <laughs> let me tell you all about what happens in this book so you don't have to read it. And now let's talk about the
1: first thing I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, so what's the, what's the first thing that you finally want to talk about? <laughs>
0: uh, there was an article uh, written by Chenenie Akparanta. Okay, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Apology
1: is implied.
0: Yep. Uh, for an a University of Michigan library publication on feminist studies called Deconstructing Home, Chicana Women and the Quest for Fathers in Rain Grandes Across a Hundred Mountains. Okay. And she has a, actually, I don't know if Chinenye is a woman or not, but uh, the writer does a really good job of putting this book into a context that I actually didn't even really know existed. So let me give you that ignorance right there. Okay. Is heavy? that, the sixties and seventies, something called the Chicano movement that I believe came out of Chicago and Mexican Americans trying to really carve out an authentic voice for themselves as a population, both mm-hmm. from a, you know, arts and culture standpoint to a heritage standpoint to a political standpoint. Right. Yeah. Um and combined with that obviously makes sense you have a chicana feminist movement um and this this is not to mean that chicano is the only term used for this because some some prefer mexican-american some prefer hispanic it's kind of regional from what i understand sure yeah um but chicana feminism wrestles with the fact that traditionally in hispanic culture and certainly in mexican culture and mexican-american culture it is very male dominated so these uh, writers were... Oh, attempt- so
1: you mean every culture? <laughs> well, yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> but more explicitly so, perhaps. Okay, All sure. Right? Um, references, uh, a couple books, on Ana, Ana Castillo's the... Um, I'm going to say the author, Ana Castillo, because I can't pronounce that without making a fool of myself. Uh, Lucha Corpi, uh, Alicia Gaspar, Laura Del Fuego, a series of writers from the, you know, 70s on who are kind of dealing with this issue. And then more modern ones as well, including Reina Grande. And what she's arguing is that Grande is not writing a real uh, quote-unquote good uh, feminist book. In fact, she is sort of reintroducing this trope of the father who goes off across the border and disappears... Um, into a feminist framework, if that makes okay. sense. Basically, yeah. every woman in this book, mostly for worse, is defined by the relationship she has with a particular man. Okay. Um, and this article does a really good job of uh, saying that that's a problem from one angle, but that Grande's not interested in in just kind of like revolutionizing what a woman can be through her fiction she seems to just be trying to reflect a mirror back at some stuff she saw does that make sense yeah
1: Yeah, it does and and while i'd buy that that can be like a valid criticism of the work i also think that we shouldn't we probably shouldn't put on like every book's head figurative head the work of being you know the the feminist torchbearer or whatever does that does that make any sense without yeah. sounding like too like jerkish? No, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> it's... like maybe she just wants to tell the story that she wants to tell, and it, it's if it can be explicitly feminist, that's great. But if it's not, like, let's not hold that against it.
0: Well, and and again, I don't know what best serves whatever particular like goals you might have for a book to to be outright feminist right is it to uh show women in new lights is it to show plights facing women um you know it's like that kind of does that make sense it's like yeah, yeah. Do you need to just
1: uh it depends it, on where you're setting the bar like like yeah. to be a feminist book is it enough that it's just about a woman from a woman's perspective like i think there would be some who would argue argue that point like does it need to have an agenda and something that it's specifically trying to say about the position of women in the society. Like what, what, what me, what does feminist mean in the context that we're talking about? Is that what you're trying to talk about? Yes, 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 yes. Okay.
0: And the the author of this article, uh, kind of talks about how it is, you know, if you're trying to do a feminist reading of this book, the, the sexual violence and the, uh, Kind of devotion to a variety of male figures uh, can be problematic if if what you're looking for is something else. Is you're looking for kind of new relationships between women or you know more progressive relation uh, prospects for women? Um, that's not to be found in this book. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I think it's a pretty frank book. It's not. I don't think it's romanticizing these men in any way. Um, I think that the opinions of the of the father who is never heard from again are pretty clearly the ones of an eleven year old girl, um, who lost whose father disappeared and then died trying to cross the border. Yeah. Um, one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the book, uh, this is unrelated to the feminist critique of it, is uh, Juana as Adelina. You don't know that it's Juana at the time. Um, meets a man who has the same name as her father who crossed the border and then lost his memory and has not gone back because he doesn't know who to go back to. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where she really has the opportunity to be this man's daughter and to have him be her father. And that is just not true. And she can't give that to him or herself.
1: Sure. It's really heartbreaking. I feel like that's gotta be the oldest excuse in the book, though, right? Oh, like, come on, I lost my memory. I don't know. Oh, I wanted that. I wanted to get back in touch with you, but I just don't, I don't remember anything.
0: Okay, so here's something.
1: <laughs> I grew up watching a
0: lot of uh, soap opera. My I I grew up with my mom and sisters watching a lot of. Um, Days of our lives.
1: So you're saying that that you have a much higher tolerance for amnesia and evil twins and that kind of thing. Well, (laughs) mostly I want to give props to Grande for
0: dealing with stuff like that in a way that doesn't feel like it while I'm reading the book. Okay, sure. So there's a character whose parents are not his actual parents, and the parents who raised him stole him from this other family. And then he finds out at the end of, you know, like... This person's dad disappears, and then maybe he has amnesia. It's like that just on the page. If it were like bullet point stuff that happened in this book, you'd be like, Come on.
1: Yeah, you'd be like, Oh, this season of Days of Our Lives is definitely <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> yeah, but it's probably
0: going to be real entertaining. I'll tell you that mm-hmm. much. There's yeah. a reason that Days of Our Lives killed like 10 of its major characters and then transported them all to a secret tropical version of the city from days of our lives that was an awesome summer i'll tell you that much
1: i think the producers probably just wanted to go to a tropical location right like i
0: don't know that they were actually shooting on you give them too
1: much credit (laughs) andrew i think they put some palm trees on the set Wow, man, I'm even more impressed now that they weren't doing it for some selfish reason. So you're saying that that even though on like if you're just telling me a list of things that happened, it sounds soapy, but in context it doesn't feel that way. Correct.
0: Okay. And I think a lot of that has to do with what I was saying earlier about Grande's gifts as a storyteller. She knows what to do with information and when to deal it out. Uh she's pretty sparse in her description, but I never felt like I uh, was that a want for imagery? Mm-hmm. Um, and w- particularly Wana. Again, I'll go back to her. She is remarkably resilient, very caring and compassionate. She's an easy character to like, yet she, at the very beginning, you know that whole traumatic episode with her sister. You understand right away where her motivation comes from, mm-hmm. and her her attempt to recreate her family. And rebuild it comes out of this moment where she is she feels guilty for what happened and her father before he leaves uh, in something that's I don't know I found particularly moving uh, Hmm. says that he he accepts responsibility for his younger daughter for his youngest daughter dying because he could not provide well enough for his family now you can you know go back and forth about well their mother was also working and what opportunities were afforded to her. But in that moment, he is blaming himself and takes that blame from his daughter. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I think it rises above the potential pulpiness that does exist in a, in a pretty breezy read
1: for mm-hmm. the material. Um, yeah. There was a, there was a, you keep talking about how economical she is as a storyteller and how she's good at knowing like what, facts to drop or what strings to pull there was there was an interesting quote that i read from her in that same interview that we were talking about earlier go for it about uh why she likes writing and telling stories this is her the direct quote from her again uh we didn't have a television at my grandma's house so we listened to the radio and every night they would have story time and i just remember how listening to all the stories really helped me to understand why things were happening in the world around me and i learned to turn stories turn to stories for that to understand hmm Okay. So it sounds like she just spent she spent a lot of time absorbing like what works in a story and what doesn't or like how the the different kinds of ways people can tell stories. Like if you it, even if you just consider like oral story time versus radio stuff, like presentation there is going to be very different and if you immerse yourself in that, you're going to have you're going to have a pretty thorough understanding of like how stories work. I think like what, and then what conventions you can kind of twist around to do the kind of stuff you're talking about, you know?
0: And certainly if she's listening to the radio a lot, the, the, what you are able to do to maintain your listeners attention uh, while still keeping the plot moving, like what can you get away with in terms of description or dialogue, et cetera, that, they will still listen that they won't because yeah. it's easier you know even more so than tv uh it's easier to disengage with something you're listening to like i listen to the to the radio uh for the news every morning and i will surprise myself laura will come in and be like hey did you hear that interesting thing cuz she'll listen to it in like the bedroom while she's getting ready and I'm like <laughs> nope I, that was on i have no idea what anybody said i was i think
1: we push those boundaries every week on this show
0: yeah, I think so too. <laughs> we talked we talked about pandas this week. What, I don't know. Let's recap this week's episode for everyone. That'll Yeah, make... let's
1: just run run down real quick. Well, um as we as we kind of get close to time. Mhm. What is you so you've talked about the first thing. Like what other stuff do you have to talk about? Oh, there's
0: a there I'll give you a real quick struck me funny and then I'll give you a little bit on uh the immigrant experience just a little. Okay. bit. Um, the struck me funny is at one point, Juana is shaking out some sheets to, and this is a direct quote, to make sure there are no scorpions in it, which I just went, what the hell? I don't want to have to deal
1: with scorpions in my bed. That seems not cool. Yeah, I just don't, I don't want that to have to be a part of my routine is checking for scorpions. I just, I I am comfortable, and maybe this is my privilege talking, I am comfortable (laughs) Living in a world where I just assume there are no scorpions unless I, <laughs> unless I see a scorpion.
0: So, like, you know, so, you know there, are, there are wonderful organizations that are working to help to people. To get rid of all scorpions well, on the <laughs> earth. To help people have, like, clothes and water and stuff. Why don't you and I, we will start a fund to make sure that no one has to worry about bed scorpions.
1: Okay, I think we can do that.
0: All right, cool. That's my. how That's, that was...
1: we'll start diverting Patreon funds <laughs> to know. that cause right now.
0: That was my struck me funny. Um, the, the immigrant experience is twofold. One is the border crossing, which because of the dual narrative actually lands at a really, you know, it lands at the right spot in the novel. It's about, you know, 75% of the way through where the book has really hit its stride and Juana's is trying to cross the border. And she's with this group that has a couple men in it. It's led by the coyote and it's her and this older woman as well. And they're constantly worried about whether or not the police are going to find them and catch them. And at one point, they split up the group because they are concerned that uh, the police will hear them if there's too many of them together. And the one group is all like four dudes. And the other group is this one guy and Juana and this older woman. Juana forced herself to stand up, put on her backpack and begin to walk. They were being sent out as bait for La Migra. She knew that if she and Lord were caught, the coyote and the four men would have a chance to flee. The odds that anyone is able to do this are preposterous. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something in that moment where this is not a scenario that I've thought about very often. Like I live in a neighborhood now, actually, since I just moved where there are a lot more Hispanic people than there were in my previous neighborhood. Um, And I, I see people going to school. I see people raising families and renting or owning property. And I have not thought about who got here first. And did they, were they able to do it legally or not? And what it was like to go through this, the amount of like, Hey, we're all in this together. And then that tenuous moment where everyone looks around and all kind of tacitly agrees that if, you got caught, but I didn't. That would be totally okay <laughs> is terrifying, yeah, and, and kind of casts a whole different understanding on it. and i like I get it. if I were in that situation and this book certainly does the right does the right thing by setting up the stakes for why you want at all costs wanted to make it, right? Mm-hmm. And she's never faced with you know, she is never faced with the opportunity to like totally leave someone hanging. Um, but it is made explicitly clear that that might be the case. At one point, she is, you know, she is sent out ahead of people, um, you know, like I was saying, as bait. And it's just this, I don't know, it it illuminated a lot about that that particular yeah. thing that people do.
1: Um, yeah, there are, there are a lot of situations, like a lot of scenarios where you just hope that you never have to find out how you would act in them, you yeah. know? <laughs> oh, yeah cuz I, I mean i i i think we all have an illusion or like a an assumption that we are quote unquote good people and we would do whatever the right thing is it would be in a given situation but if someone like pulled a gun on me or on susanna or something like i don't i don't know yeah i don't I know i don't actually know how i would react i don't at all and that's and, something I just, we, and I just hope it doesn't come up. <laughs> that's that's something that we
0: didn't necessarily talk about last week in the Blood Meridian episode because I don't I don't know if it was particularly relevant to that book, but I know it was relevant to The Road when I was reading The Road. Is the, a lot of that like I think some of that book's appeal comes from what would you do in that situation? You know, what would yeah, and a lot of the a lot of the kind of apocalypse fantasy stuff comes out of that. I think where a lot of people. For based in the like fact that they can do it in their air conditioned house while they watch HD cable, right? Can, can ponder what would happen if they were in a doomsday scenario, mm-hmm. and then you and they would be PG King because they've seen a lot of doomsday movies. They've watched a lot of them, especially that one where the Rock fights an earthquake. Yeah, they've <laughs> they're on board. They're on. They know what to do.
1: I think his name was Earthquake, <laughs> the wrestler.
0: It's just a WrestleMania clip that they were selling in movie theaters. <laughs> um, and then the, the other follow-up to that is, I think there's a lot of dual identities throughout this book. Um, you know, the son who doesn't know that he's from another family, uh, Adelina slash Juana. And earlier in the book, um, there's like a really powerful metaphor about the moon and uh, an older gentleman who, t- who tells Juana about, No, Adelina, excuse me, about the moon having. I mean,
1: is it? Oh, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. At that time in
0: the book, you understood her to be a different person. Um, (laughs) About how the moon has one face uh, that everyone sees and then another face that she keeps hidden. Uh, And what it is to cross the border and and reinvent yourself, probably. You probably, you likely have to do that in some capacity because that, you know, involves um, some deceit. And, and lying for your own safety. So, I don't know. There was something about this book kind of needing to pull a fight club to properly roll that theme of the experience into the novel itself. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah.
0: Like I, I That's why I found it so satisfying, a device, because it could have been really hokey. And I think actually it's better that I didn't pick up on it earlier the first time through. If only, because I might have been like, "Oh, really?" Okay. Right, because that's
1: that's the deal with that stuff. Is I don't know. That's a problem that I've had with Game of Thrones this season to keep bringing non-book mediums. That into is a this book. Thing. It's fine. I mean, it well, Yeah. Okay. Sure. Fine. But um, there there are twists and turns in a story that can be totally satisfying. But if you are telegraphing them so much or so poorly that people can see them coming from. Yeah. like 4 or 5 episodes away it becomes less like you're the 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 people who are who are watching or reading or whatever they they're not engaged with whatever cleverness you think you are engaged in. Correct. They are just like okay just make it happen already. Like I know it's going to happen, so just do it. Just do it. Yeah. So there's something to be said for for somebody who can craft a story that has a big like the the twist like capital twist like a gone girl style twist in it yeah who can execute it without the reader suspecting that it's coming that's true
0: which i yeah. i found to be the case i've read one or two reviews where people said they figured it out ahead of time and i it doesn't seem like it diminished their experience and i i hope that people who might be interested would le- read this book uh despite yeah. knowing despite me telling them what happens sure uh andrew Yes. Were there any interesting emails this week?
1: We did get some emails. Where did Again, they, that's yeah. overduepod at gmail.com that ah, they sent okay. these emails to. Um we got an email from Mike about uh, Blood Meridian. We got a few comments on that episode just and I, I I think I could anticipate them coming because I read that book and I was not immediately like taken with it, I guess. Like I didn't I I read it and I did not say, oh, well, I understand why that's a great American novel. You know, like that wasn't my immediate reaction. And so because my reaction was not that, I assume we'd be getting some stuff about it. (laughs) Uh, Mike sent us a very uh, long and thoughtful email that I actually liked a lot. He says, I enjoyed listening to your podcast about Blood Meridian, although I have to admit being disappointed with your rather lukewarm at best impression of the book. Disclaimer, I am a Cormac McCarthy fanboy. I spent a lot of time trying to finish the book... But every time I threw it on the floor, it just sat there mocking me until I picked it up and continued. I've never read another book that I wanted so much to quit reading, but it kept drawing me back. Um, And he says, I think it's about the inhumanity of the westward expansion of the U.S. The powers that be in Washington decided on an expansion of the country all the way to the Pacific and were not to be stopped, even resorting to genocide as tactic. That was then a very violent campaign. I think that this is why there is so much violence in such detail. The idea is not to stun you with the level of violent behavior, but rather to numb you to it, which, yeah, that's that's what happens. Okay. Uh, we were moving westward. And if some people had to be killed violently, well, that was part of the deal. Note that a great deal of the violence was carried out by official agents of the government, troops, uh, municipally hired scalping parties, etc., The Indians, however, were not to get off easily. They, too, committed atrocious acts and were represented as doing so in the book. Everyone behaved poorly and no blame is assigned. Um, And then on the judge, he says, as a judge, I see McCarthy making him an ultimate authority figure. In this case, the U.S. government. He knew what he wanted and kept egging on others until they did his bidding. Um, I have a different take on the ending. I think that the judge raped the kid, the imagery of the U S government raping those who did the government's bidding when they were no longer needed would not be too outlandish. I think many think the government treats veterans this way. Uh, I do not claim any originality in the above, but feel that the book makes the most sense to me if I think of it in those terms. And yeah. Okay. That's I. Yeah. I I think most of that is right. Like, there, there are some things that you read and you wish that, oh, I wish I had thought of that or I wish I had reacted to it in that way. And, yeah, I think that's that's an intelligent reading of the book that is closer to the, I guess, canonical reading of it or like why it has been canonized, if that makes sense.
0: Well, and certainly could it could sh- Fundamentally change your experience of the book and the way that we are talking this week about just whether or not you know particular information changes how you feel about a book yeah, if you definitely. are going into a work like that and reading it as allegory as opposed to kind of just a graphic depiction of a time period mm-hmm. as a as an allegorical representation it's hard to know in some works if that's what's tr- what's being attempted. Does that make sense? Like Yeah, yeah. I don't know as McCarthy is trying to do what Mike's talking about or if that's just a really good reading of the book that that keeps it from being just fundamentally un- unsettling. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's like that's the ultimate cuz cuz with McCarthy as we talked about, you know, he does not give a lot of interviews. He does not He's not go around telling people what he meant. He doesn't he like to talk stuff. about writing. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think with a lot of works, you you will get authors who will talk about what they were trying to do. And as much as I like that, you know, in in, in a lot of ways, having a writer who just put something out there is a little more interesting because it invites more diverse reactions Yes. Like I think like while I was doing the, the reading on Blood Meridian, I, I got into some of the stuff about, you know, what the judge represents and that, and that kind of thing. You know, the, like if I were to read Blood Meridian in English class, these would be the big pull, bullet points that were hit. Precisely. But because McCarthy has not like I think when an author talks about what they were doing when they wrote something or did something like they I think that can stifle the discussion around the book a little bit.
0: Oh yeah, because then you end up talking about the author just as much as you're talking about the book as well,
1: right? And 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 you you can come at those works with what the author quote unquote meant in mind, and, and nothing it, else. Yeah, yeah, it kind of dissuades you from forming different opinions about it. So, so yeah, I, I I guess I am I'm just as much as I would have liked to please like all the Cormac McCarthy fans in the audience with our with our episode on blood meridian like i'm also glad that it's a book where i can have the reaction that i had mike can have the reaction that that he had like all of everybody who likes that book can react to it in whatever way they want and like there's not you know like like the the arguments about morality in that book there is no like absolute right or wrong unless i just pull a gun on somebody and shoot them because i don't because i don't agree with what they
0: said i hope that that doesn't come to pass if you want, i hope it doesn't
1: if you want I to mean, pull
0: a social media gun on us and uh blast us with your social media you can does that even make it, that doesn't even make sense
1: did he send six tweets or only five? Oh
0: no <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to spin five tweets and then point the Twitter at you. Um, you can do that at twitter.com slash overdue pod or facebook.com slash overdue pod. Uh, this week, John, Amanda, John again, a different John, Jocko, Tyler, Margaret, uh, Baya, I believe, Arnie, Murvedra, I, perhaps, <laughs> Jane, Catherine, Nasho, Mary, Oswaldo, of course, stroke. Albi, Z, and Leah, or Lee, all reached out this week on social media and uh, actually probably some others that I missed. So thanks for that. Andrew, if folks wanted to find out more about the show, where should they go?
1: Uh, they should go to overduepodcast.com, which is our, our hub on the internet, where you can find the links to our RSS feeds, iTunes feeds, Stitcher feed, like however you want to subscribe to the show, that is the place to do it. Uh, we've gotten a few good reviews on iTunes this week from uh, RM Clevin, Colorado Colleen, IRS, and uh, Aunt Carrie, who all... Had very nice things to say. So thank you guys for doing that. If you do subscribe in iTunes, leave a star rating or a review. Either way, we are very happy about it. It helps us out in the rankings and it helps people know what what, uh, listeners think of the show. Um, We also have a link to our Patreon page. Uh, We mentioned that a little bit earlier, but Patreon is a site that lets people who like a thing support the people who make that thing. So you can pledge a certain amount of money a month and uh that money goes to us we can spend it on equipment on books on uh different you know advertisements and things to get word about the show out there we've grown a ton in 2015 so far and i don't think we plan on stopping anytime soon so uh go to patreon.com slash overdue pod we've got a lot of details about uh you know stretch goals and reward tiers and things like that
0: also on the website are uh amazon links to the books that we're reading if you want to support those authors and support us a little bit you can click on those links to buy those books sometimes if we're on our game we also have you know the books that we're reading next
1: andrew what are you reading next um i'm reading a boy and his dog which is a novella or short story i I can't find agreement on the subject uh by harlan ellison wonderful Yes. great and then we are also going to be recording our bonus episode for june this week it's going to be a choose your own adventure book oh no called space vampire oh and we have no. not cracked it open yet but the cover gives me a lot of hope about what is inside so <laughs> me <laughs> so too. stand by for that um all right everybody thank you so much for listening um thank you for your feedback good and bad we we like hearing from you either way uh we will see you next week and until then try to be happy
0: Uh, how do I sound? Do I sound okay?
1: You sound fine. I mean, you sound like you normally. God
0: sound. damn! I hate when you say the word <laughs> "fine." Yeah, it's, it is the mo- it is like one of the most condescending words that you are able to use.
1: Well, it's not even it's condescending. It's just that you don't you can't tell at any given moment how I'm using it.
0: Precisely, I hate that. About like, do,
1: are do you sound fine or do you sound? fine? I hate that about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. It's not. In in this case, I think you sound fine. Use a different word. You sound good.
0: Uh, But I don't even know if that's true anymore.